Hello and welcome to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, broadcasting from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy, New York, on the unceded homelands of the Mohican people who are known today as the Stockbridge Muncie community. I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr. Today on the Hudson Mohawk Magazine, we begin with Jamaica Miles, a great lady who spoke with Mark Dunley about the upcoming All of Us Community conversation on housing taking place on Saturday, December 10th in Schenectady. Then Mr. Willie Terry went to the event Kicks, Cuts, and Careers at the Troy Boys and Girls Club with Steven Figueroa. Later on, this is near and dear to my heart, myself, H. Bosch Jr., reaches into the archives to bring us a Triple E's tribute to Lasone Garland Bryan, who recently passed away. After that, we will hear from snug social worker Anika Anika Vanderhaven, no, Vanderveen. Finally, we'll remember the past years in, of interfaith holiday justice peace circle at Freedom Square and what to expect this Saturday, which is going to be awesome. But first, here are the headlines. The Times Union reports that St. Peter's Health Partners launched a pilot program earlier this year to raise awareness about the health risks that firefighters face on the job from the inhalation of chemicals that cause numerous cancers, a leading cause of death among firefighters. St. Peter's held a free screening in April for members of the Cohoes Fire Department. Of the 25 firefighters screened, 12 had results that required follow-up medical care. Now the health system is partnering with the city of Albany to expand the pilot program to its firefighters. New York State Attorney Tish Jane says sexual harassment allegations against her top staffer was substanti- or, yeah, substantiated. James is facing increasing criticism that she did not handle her internal complaint with the same vigor it pursued the Como allegations. Basketball star and African-American LGBTQIA icon Brittany Griner, yes, was released by the Russian government in exchange for a convicted Russian arms dealer. Griner was detained at Moscow Airport last February for the possession of a small amount of marijuana oil and was sentenced to nine years in harsh penal colony. Her detainment was caught up in upheaval of the invasion of Ukraine and an escalation of Cold War conflicts. Some believe this swap may have been a signal that Russian President Putin wants to start negotiations to halt the war. Plug Power recently ground on its 55 million fuel cell manufacturing campus behind the ShopRite in Bethlehem. The TU reports that the manufacturing of plugs, Gen Drive hydrogen fuel cells, which power forklift trucks, has already begun with work being moved from Plug's cramped Latham headquarters near the airport to Slingerlands. Within five years, the site is expected to be home to about 1,600 employees. Great. Upstate New York health care leaders and lawmakers want legislation to address hiring challenges that have created unobtainable emergency room wait times and put hospitals in the red. There are 9,300 job openings for nurses in New York, which require hospitals and nursing homes to hire traveling nurses at up to five times the going rate. 
The Times Union says that groups want to see permanent funding for upstate and rural workforce recruitment and retention programs, investment into educational pipeline programs, and an increase in financial relief directed to upstate teaching and rural hospitals. The House gave final approval Thursday to legislation protecting same-sex marriages. President Joe Biden has said he will promptly sign the measure, which requires all states to recognize same-sex marriages, though does not require them to legalize same-sex marriages occurring in their state. And that's it for the headlines. So first up, All of Us is hosting a community conversation in Schenectady on Saturday, December 10th, on the issue of housing and the theme of Wakanda Forever. The event will be at 11.30 a.m. at the Sikkim office on Albany Street. Sikkim is the Schenectady Inner City Ministry. Jamaica Miles discusses the event with Mark Dunley. We're talking with uh, Jamaica Miles, who um, was elected last year or so to the uh, Schenectady School Board, but is one of the lead organizers of uh, all of us. And they are convening a meeting uh, or a community conversation uh, this Saturday, 11.30 a.m. at the uh, Sikkim uh, office or building on on Albany Street. So uh, Jamaica, welcome back. And um, what's the community conversation about? Thanks for having me back. Um, so yes, on Saturday, December 10th, starting at 1130 a.m., we're having another community conversation, free community event, and it's actually called Wakanda Forever. And I understand it's, 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 a lot of it's focused on housing. Um, we just had United Tenants on this week trying to get uh, support for counsel for people facing evictions. What's the situation like with housing in uh, you know, Schenectady, particularly for, you know, low income and communities of color. Well, actually, in the city of Schenectady, there was just a housing forum. The city council um, called a town hall and invited tenants and property owners to come and discuss what do they see as the problems and solutions um, in Schenectady. Uh, housing is actually the first issue that all of us worked on in 2020 before the pandemic before the uprising. Um, it was the first issue that rose to the top. Back in 2020, rent was too high. Um, and here we are that we see the costs continue to rise. Um, and we see that we still are faced with growing numbers of individuals who are housing insecure or homeless. Um, and it's just, you know, it's an ongoing issue. Now, I'm going to throw in an issue that, you know, I'm concerned about. Uh, I'm concerned about affordable housing, um, but but also the issue of uh, of climate change and the need to really, you know, invest heavily in having community people, um, you know, get funding so they can upgrade their homes, both to be more energy efficient with insulation, but also with better low impact technology like uh, um, e e air heat and, and things of that nature. How, how can that sort of that climate movement, the need to really decarbonize our building, you know, interplay with the issue of how do we make housing affordable for more, more people with so many people spending, you know, well over 30%, you know, often 50% or even 70% of their income for housing? 
It's interesting that you would bring that up, Mark. Uh, so during the town hall that recently happened in Schenectady, there was someone that came up and said, hey, if we're talking about housing, we need to talk about climate change. We need to talk about climate justice. Um, and our theme of Wakanda Forever, it's the idea of all of the intersectionality. When we talk about housing, we're also talking about the impact on our children in schools, which is something we as a school board um, heard about in one of our most recent updates from the school district. We're talking about the heating and cooling bill for families that live in any type of housing and having accessibility to programs that upgrade that housing to lower their costs, right? Um, as well as, you know, the impact on the environment. We're talking about accessibility to food and what types of choices you're making when you're spending well over a third of your income on your housing costs and then making decisions about what medicine you're going to buy or go without, what food you're gonna buy and go without, or other necessities that you're making choices so that you can have a roof over your head. And the number of individuals and families who still are living paycheck to paycheck that existed before the pandemic, we saw the results of how many more people were impacted during the pandemic, and we're not on the other side of things yet. And when we look at the idea of the movie of Wakanda, it is, without spoiling anything, it is an enclosed community that offers the needs for everyone. You see the farming, you see the technology, you see the housing, people are cared for and caring for each other, and children are being educated, right? There's everyone has access and opportunity to be their best potential selves, contributing their skills to society um, and their needs being met. People are not struggling to survive or fighting each other for resources within that community. So the intersectionality of housing with climate justice or any of the other issues is what we expect to come out in the conversation on Saturday. So you you've mentioned you know quite a few times Wakanda you know forever. So what are some of the type of you know change that need that need to be made if the if the goal is to sort of create community that I would say I would guess is both self sufficient but also lifts up you know everyone like how do you bring in urban agriculture how do you bring in you know the job creation that really reaches into the neighborhoods where you know unemployment is 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 high and income is low. We're talking about investing in communities, right? It's not really a radical concept. It's not even a new concept. Um, and it's something that we heard very strongly a year ago when we did the What Keeps Us Safe survey and asked over 300 Black community members living in Schenectady, what does safety mean to you? What would it mean to have a safe, healthy, and thriving community? And now over a year ago, we're hearing the same things now where people are asking for and demanding, we need jobs that pay us enough to care for ourselves and our family. We need access to food that is nutritious, right? And there are programs that already exist. Stick'em is the largest provider of food in Schenectady County. How can they receive further investments and further co collaboration with other groups and organizations? They have farms. Right? Sikkim isn't just a food pantry that gives out baskets, but they also have farms where people can actually be part of that collective and farm that land, take produce from that land. More people need access in the way of information and more programs need investment that allow communities to be able to do the work and take care of themselves. 
it's not that people don't want to work, they want the access and opportunity. When it comes to very specifically, and I've said this um, actually to the mayor for years now, the civil service exams, what would it mean for the city and or the county to offer a prep course and specifically target low income communities let them know when the tests are, what the tests look like. We do it for our students in our high schools when we're talking about the ACTs and the SATs and offer prep courses so that they're familiar with the test and we truly allow them to shine. We could do the same thing for our marginalized communities in the city of Schenectady and ensure that they have the same access and opportunity as anyone else. And that's true across industries and jobs within the city. And I will say, especially when there's construction. You know, I, you know, I've worked for many years with the Hunger Action Network, and whenever we would talk to any of the, uh, you know, participants at a food pantry or a soup kitchen, and ask them what do they want us to, to, to work on, you know, they, they would be supportive things like raising the minimum wage, certainly, and housing, and you know, more funding through the SNAP program. But the number one issue was always job creation and and living wage jobs. But you also, you know, raise the issue of food and, and, and food insecurity. I, I see that the county is investing maybe up to $4 million to try to bring a supermarket into, I think, Lower State Street someplace. Is that a, a good approach? We absolutely need to increase food access and we need to be mindful and equitable in what that looks like. There is not a single supermarket within walking distance on Hamilton Hill. There is not a single supermarket within walking distance on the north side. How are we making sure, because you can put it in downtown and folks will say, oh, well, you know, there's the, the main bus that goes downtown and can bring you back up. How many of those people have ever had children and got on a bus and carried bags and groceries of food and trying to figure out how much you can buy and carry from the bus stop back to your house? And let that not just be in the summer or spring or fall, but when it's raining, when it's snowing. I have, I know what that looks like. I know what that feels like. It is not simply that you put it on a main bus route, but you need to think about the geography and all of the other factors that impact communities. Yes, we need to increase food accessibility. Yes, there should be more supermarkets. And I believe the city and the county could do a better job ensuring that those fresh foods and more economical foods are closer to the doorsteps of not just our low income people, but our elderly or well, disabled. We're, right? we're, we're out of time, unfortunately. We've been talking to Jamaica Miles, all of us, uh, this Saturday, 11.30 a.m. at the Sikkim uh, office on Albany Street. People want more information quickly, a website or anything? You can find Untitled and Free on any social media platform. Thank you very much. And this has been Mark Dunley for the Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Okay. Thank you, Mark. Jamaica Miles is someone who does a great job at looking at the intersectionality of issues and seeing how climate change, housing, justice, Black Lives Matter, education, and other topics are all interlinked. Hear more stories with Jamaica Miles at mediasanctuary.org. Next, we go to roaming labor correspondent Willie Terry, who attended last week's Boys and Girls Club event, Kicks, Cuts, and Careers. The community event, in, uh, the community received information about jobs, insurance, free haircuts, and free food at the event. Stephen Figueroa, 
Troy City Councilman and Director of the Troy Boys and Girls Club Workforce Development Program sponsored the event. And in this segment, Willie interviews Stephen. Yeah, this is Willie Terry, the Roman Labor Correspondent. And I'm here today in Troy at the Troy Boys and Girls Club where they're having an event. I think it's an event for the youth. For the community. For the yeah. community, yeah. okay. And um, I have as my guest, Councilman. Steve Figueroa. And how you doing, Councilman? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. Right. Uh, so, Councilman, uh, tell me something about this event. You know, what, what it is, why y'all doing it today, and what it's about. So, yeah, it's called Kits, Kits, uh, Kicks, Cuts, and Careers. So, we have a small business giving out free uh, sneakers for those unfortunate. Um, we had uh, people... Uh, Businesses uh, doing haircuts and also careers, so you can come here and apply for a job. We had different employers earlier today um, that had came um, and gave out some information in regards to job opportunities. We have uh, the fire department as well that's hiring, and uh, we also had resources such as uh, medical insurance. Fidelis was here as well, so just basically uh, bringing the community together, um, bringing resources to not only the adults, to the youth, and just uh, bringing awareness of resources, making sure uh, that the community knows that there are resources out here in Troy available. What part does the city council play in this? Uh, so actually, this is more of uh, my job. Uh, so my full-time job here at the Boys and Girls Club. Oh, okay. uh, I run the workforce development department, so that's where I come and play, uh, bringing careers and uh, job opportunities to the community. Um, but obviously, as a representative in the Troy City Council, you know, also supporting uh, this event as well. Now, what age group was this event for? Uh, it was open to the community, any age group, uh, anywhere from uh, children to adults. And how often do you have events like this? Uh, so we try to do it on a month-to-month basis uh, just to make sure that the community are taking advantage of the resources as available. And what's been the response of the community? Uh, we have had great response uh, today. Um, you know, a couple people m- came earlier. Um, you know, and some young people was able to take some sneakers home, and some people was able to sign up for medical insurance that they, that they didn't have. We had the Drug Free Coalition here as well um, with their information and resources. So it was a good turnout today. So I see you have a, a lot of food inside. You know, are those of that food is it donated? Yeah, yeah, so Jimmy's uh, donated some, um, and then we had other uh, other food that um, the Boys and Girls Club purchased uh, free to the community, you know, pizza, drinks, um, every, everything is free today for the community. Now, is your area part of the Lansenburg Boys and Girls Club? Uh, it's not in my district, no. Uh, but we, um, I've, I've been there many times. I grew up, actually in that club so um, I support the that boys and girls club as well as well as the one downtown here and Steve I know you've been doing a lot of work with kids in the community and uh, probably a lot of people don't know that so tell them something about you know some of the things that you do so yeah currently you know I'm, I'm the uh, director of team hero um, which is a, a non nonprofit organization that focus on uh, young people right uh, getting them in the right direction um, helping them, 
helping them on a day-to-day basis on um, any case management that they might need, any resources. We provide also programming, and um, we teach character development. We teach financial literacy and different resources for the young people. It was a founding program by Brother Jerry Ford, and then I also do the workforce development program, which is focused uh, on young individuals 16 to 24, uh, we help them get a job. We help them get all the skills they need to go into the job force, such as financial literacy. We do uh, resume writing, mock interviews. We do live uh, job fairs. We take them on college tours. So, you know, my main focus is making sure that we protect our social social capital, which is our young people, and helping them and guiding them in the right direction and helping them be successful in life. But jobs are important to our community. Right, and, and getting people uh, skilled. So, uh, so just tell us a little bit more about that workforce development. You know, where are you located and how could one uh, gain access to that program? So yeah, the workforce development program is located actually here, uh, 1700 7th Avenue in Troy at the Boys and Girls Club of the Capital Area. We are here Monday through Friday. Um, if you need to contact me, in regards to more information, my email is sfigueroa at bgccapitalarea.org. You can email me there or uh, call the uh, Boys and Girls Club here, and uh, we'll be able to answer any questions in regards to uh, more information or signing up for the program. Is there an age limit? Uh, the, for this program particularly, it's 16 to 24. 16 to 24? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I do want to say, too, uh, over the past few months, they've been talking about crime in the neighborhood and, and you know, the killing of people. You know, um, how does this impact on that situation? Or what did you think about this having some type of impact on stopping crime? Yeah, so I think, I think this is a, a great uh, alternative for these young people, right, that, um, you know, they find themselves with limited resources and... Not much things to do, so this is a great alternative in regards to um, resources and opportunities for them, right? It teaches them not only job trades, skill trades, it teaches them how to be an adult, right, and survive in the real world uh, financially. Um, and, you know, I have the basketball program as well, which is another alternative that we choose in regards to gun violence and violence prevention, right? Mm-hmm. Getting them off the streets into uh, playing sports. And, you know, it's not only a basketball program. We teach anger-aggressive training, ART program. We also involve the basketball team in to workforce. So, um, and then, you know, working, I'm working in, in building a uh, violence prevention task force um, to get the community together, get ideas, get solutions um, in regards to the violence that's going on in the community. The violence prevention program, you just said, is that in conjunction with the... Uh city council or is it just something that you take I'm trying to bring it I'm trying to bring it to the city council and want and I want my goal is to make it part of legislation and have community partners together such as snug uh, community leaders and different resources in the community where we come together and um, come up with solutions in regards to attacking the violence uh, in our community and one other thing I think in our community we kind of lack into a lot, maybe some more after-school programs or more programs for teenagers in the evening time, you know. Uh, in your stint with the city council, have you uh, accessed any information that says that there might be funds to get more 
after school programs or uh, eating programs for kids? Yeah, so that's one of my pushes. Um, so you know, there's currently programs that are um, that are running. Um, you know, we got the Team Hero with the block. Um, we got Troy Look. We got the Rainbow Center with Penny Holmes. And I think it's more importantly is being able to support these programs and uh, financially so they could be sustainable and also reach a larger population. So um, my goal is to definitely push for funding, any funding streams or grants that we can get those organizations. They might be small and not getting a lot of funds so they can uh, get more funds and be sustainable and reach a larger population of kids. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing... Uh about helping kids you know it's good to do it in, in you know in sports and things like that so what about the ed- education in t- addition to the education you have anything in that yeah so you know education is 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 very important so i think more importantly getting into the schools right and tapping in mm-hmm. to those individuals and it's kind of like identifying what what they like to do you know because maybe sports might not be their um their goal too right um maybe education or reading books or you know what i'm saying so i think identifying those uh those things and being able to bring that to the table and and helping them educationally you know like the financial literacy piece that we offer like is is really not in schools right they don't they don't teach you what's the difference between a checking and savings and you know how to save on rainy days and all that so we're definitely pushing uh for that educational piece and that would be an important uh, point in terms of teaching kids those so they could get into businesses that you talked right. about, right? Yeah, absolutely. It gives them a, it gives them an idea on how to save to open up a business or how to save to buying a house and things of that nature. Right. And what about the parents? How important is that parents be involved in this process? Yeah, so it's important. So we like to bring parents in, you know what I'm saying, and let them know what their child is involved. And, you know, my goal is to one day uh, create a, a program with the parents, a parents, parents slash uh, children mentoring, right? Because sometimes they don't have that relationship at home. And I think most importantly, um, that's, that's important, the parent and child relationship. Um, so being able to bring them in, and maybe do like a family night, you know, where where we can bring families together um, and build that bond. All right. All right, Steve. That's Steve Figueroa, our Detroit City Councilman, and I want to thank you for this uh, interview, and I'm sure we're going to be talking in the future. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Okay, we will be hearing more from Steve Figueroa in the upcoming future. Our next segment is... Uh, first, uh, for those okay, of you sorry. just tuning in, I'm Sina Bazila Hickey. And I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr. You're listening to the Hudson Mohawk Magazine on Hudson Mohawk Radio Network on W-O-O-C-L-P 105.3 FM Troy, W-O-O-G-L-P 92.7 FM Troy, New York, and W-O-O-S-L-P 98.9 FM Schenectady and W-O-O-A-L-P 106.9 FM Albany and streaming online at the mediasanctuary.org. This program comes from the Sanctuary for Independent Media in Troy. And if you like what you hear, you can support this program by telling a friend because sharing is caring. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Find today's stories and more at mediasanctuary.org. 
Okay, moving right along. Um, our next segment is Miss um, Lasone Garland Bryan, the director for Colored Girls who um, considered suicide when the rainbow wasn't enough. Recently passed away as a tribute to her and her work, we reached into the archives for this classic. Today's guests on the Triple E's, Education, Empowerment, Entrepreneurship, are the cast from the play Colored Girls who have considered suicide when the rainbow was enough. Directed by Lasone Garland Bryan and assistant director Sheila M. Gaddy Benson. The play will be performed July 14th at the Proctor's Theater in Schenectady in celebration of the 50th anniversary, anniversary of the Hamilton Hill Art Center. Trust me, you don't want to miss this play. Hello again, everyone. This is H. Bosch Jr. with the Triple E segment, Education, Empowerment, Entrepreneurship. Today's guest is Miss Lasone Garland Bryant, director of the soon-to-be-coming-to-the-Proctor Theater, Colored Girls. Thank you so much, Ms. Lasone Garland Bryan. And we also have the cast here of Colored Girls. And I'm going to start with my immediate left, um, Miss Ann Terrell. Okay, Miss Sheila Gaddy. Miss Lillian Garland. Miss. Mrs. Jerry Phillips. Welcome, 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 guys. Thank we you. appreciate Thank you. you showing up. And um, we are so glad to have you here. And uh, let's get it started. As I always say, let's make it do what it do. And right. when it's done, it's done. Okay. okay. I'm going to start with you, Miss Garland. Um, yes. How did all the elements from the community and volunteer artists come together to bring this production to the stage? Yes, the way that it came together was first and foremost through um, interviews. Actually, we had tryouts. We had tryouts that were for the Capitol District, and these women tried out. Consequently, a lot of women that are here, sitting here today, actually have been in previous productions that I have done with colored girls since the 70s, 80s, and 90s. So. Uh, they are no strangers, and they, within their own right, they are very, very, very good performers. Great, great. Okay, here, let me go right to the um, another question. After the country elected a black man twice, okay, um, how relevant are these themes and storylines from the past play still accurate depiction of black folks? Yes. Coping with uh, contemporary America. Yes, even though the play was written and uh, I would say approximately 1974, 1975, it was on Broadway, women of color were still going through the same plight, the same problems as when the play was written. And we thought that we were actually going to be doing a little bit better after we had a black president for to um, consecutive terms. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. However, after Trump came in, everything was dissolved, and it just made it it made it worse for women of color. Okay. Well, does this play about black women resonate with mainstream America? Oh, by all means, yes, because um, we're still dealing with um, with health with health issues, health disparities. Uh, Improper housing, 
uh, racism is at is at the highest. It's okay. is as high as it possibly can get, and also violence with our with our children, single single women. It's just like it was when the now movement was probably back in this in the seventies. Yes. Okay. Now, where's the space for? Um, and this is interesting. Um, I looked at this and I said, this is something I want to ask. Where's the space for black women to collaborate with uh, white women or people of other ethnic groups to challenge um, the Trump administration around things like this? Yes. So the the way that we could possibly collaborate, as I uh, mentioned not too long ago, was like with the the um, the now the now movement. Uh, we also have a movement now, the me movement, and this has always been going on for women of color. And mm -hmm. it's just that now that it that um, white women are now coming coming forth. And looking at it, we have been battered, raped, and a lot of other things have harsh things have happened to us. Okay. So they are now part of the 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 me movement, taking of our babies. Uh, it's it, it's like slavery all over. So now that it's happening to other races of women and primarily white women, mm -hmm. and now with some of the immigrants and taking taking of their children. So it brings the issues to the forefront yes, even more. Yes, sir, so. correct. Mm -hmm. So Absolutely. let me let me close out with you on this one. Um, what, and, and I love this, um, I thought about this one, what attitudinal changes does a black man need to make to have a more loving and intimate relationship with a black woman? Well, first and foremost, he has to be honest with himself. He has to know himself. He has to love himself. He has to love God. And once he can do those things, and once he knows who he is and feels comfortable in himself and respects who he is in his family and God in Christ, he will have so much to offer to women of color and actually any woman. I agree. I agree. And I'll just say this. Um, I believe marriage and a relationship is meant to be enjoyed, not endured. And I'll give you one great shining example of it. Your mom and dad. How many years? Um, my, my mother and father have been married for over 60 years. Bless their heart twice. My, my oldest brother is 60, and today is my uh Wedding anniversary, and Absolutely. I have been married for 22 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. And see, apples don't <laughs> fall far from the tree. Yes. Mm -hmm. So let me dig into the cast here, okay? And uh, once again, if everyone's tuning in, uh, you're listening to WOOC 105.3 FM, Troy, New York. I'm your host, H. Bosch Jr., and this is the Triple E section or segment of the show. Miss Ann. An acclaimed two. I have two acclaimed gospel artists. How are you? And real brief, because I got to get to everybody else. How did you get associated with this uh, magnificent production? Like she said, we tried out, and I was one of the ones that made it. Okay, <laughs> good, good. All right, Miss Gaddy, who is uh, exec, you are the assistant director. Assistant director. Yeah. Tell me um, your interest in how did you get involved in this production? Well, I was involved under the direction of Mrs. Bryant, Lassone Bryant back in the 80s. And, um, you know, I played one of the uh, the ladies 
uh, Lady in Purple. Okay. And also I directed this play twice at University of Albany under the Graduate Students Organization in 07 and 08. Oh, okay, great. And um, Lasson was doing, um, Mrs. Bryant was doing a, uh, a casting for the show, and she asked me to come back, not only to take a part, but to assist her in directing, which I was very, very honored to do, because a lot of what I did for Minds uh, productions was a lot of her teaching. Great, great. Yeah. Well, let me move on to uh, Miss Lillian, and she's one of my favorites, all right? Yes. She's a, a big follower of me on Facebook. Sure. And I hope after this, everyone will follow me <laughs> yes. as well as the show, yes, we W-O-O-C, all right, 105.3, the Sanctuary for Independent Media. Am I plugging that enough, Steve? Okay. Uh, Miss Lillian, tell me your, your involvement, and how did you get involved in um, this? Well, like she said, um, I've been involved since... I think 80s was the first time we did the play. Mm -hmm. I'm playing the same lady, so this time I've been playing the Lady in Green. It's my fourth time playing her. Actually, at first, I didn't want to play Lady in Green. I wanted to play Lady in Brown, even though green is my favorite color. But okay. after I read green, green is all of me. Wow. And you're going to get a real treat. Oh, great, great. We're looking forward to it. Miss Jerry, yes. you want to chime in? All right. My longtime friend. We go yes. way, way back. Yes, we do. All right. <laughs> so tell me your involvement and how did you um, come about being a member of this fabulous cast? Okay. Well, first off, you know that uh, the Garland girls are like my sisters. Absolutely. And um, I love and I them dearly. And I claim dad yes. as my father. That's right. And, and uh, so, uh, yeah, um, I actually did uh, the production um, that Lasone um, put on back in the 80s, um, as well as in the 90s, and I did assist um, Sheila with her production at SUNY. But um, I was really honored, to say the least, when um, Lasone asked me to come and audition again, okay. uh, because um, I had been pretty relevant in the Park Playhouse doing a lot of productions with them and Cahoe's Music Hall. And after I took the hiatus from all that, I was like, oh, God, you know, I really miss the theater. I really do. And so I guess the Lord heard my prayers. I got a phone call from Lasone, and, and it was on. you get a on, phone call from yes. Ms. Lasone, and, Garland, and you know, Brian, Yeah, you, you got to be ready. Right. You got to, you know, mm -hmm. she's, she's business. Right. You know, she's got a great heart, but she's, you know, she means business, and she means to follow through with things. Great. And so I was honored, to say the least, and... Um, I play the lady in brown, which Lillian <laughs> wanted to play. But I'm honored to be playing the lady in brown, and I'm also doing quite a bit of gospel music in this in this okay. performance. So, which leads me to yeah. my next question, and let me just throw this in there real quick. Um, if you guys need um, an ebony and ivory <laughs> tag team, me and Steve, we're available. Oh. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm just, I'm just I'm just putting that out there. It's now, funny that you would say that. Okay, <laughs> I want to close out with uh, Miss Jerry and Miss yeah. Ann mm -hmm. doing a little gospel, something. Okay. You guys sing so eloquently. Oh, Put something you. together. Close right. close the show out. Well, okay? actually, we do a number um, in one of the scenes, okay. and it's called Near the Cross. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, here's Near the Cross by Miss Ann and Miss Jerry. All right. Jesus me near the cross there's the precious fountain free to all of 
can we pass out the plate, right? (laughs) And let the church say what? Amen. I like that. Well, ladies, ladies, I still got the camera rolling. Oh, my goodness. Um, I thank you. Uh, W-O-O-C 105.3 thanks you. And we are so, so looking forward to that play on my birthday weekend. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we look forward to uh, continued uh, big things from you all. Okay. And thanks for coming over and hanging out with the WOOC family. We we appreciate you. Okay. All right. Until next time, folks, it's about the triple E's. All right. And remember this. Don't hear about making a difference. You need to be about making a difference. This is Inez Bosch's baby boy, H. Bosch Jr., doing what I'm made to believe. Thank you, thank you, thank you for an awesome interview. The cast of Colored Girls, directed once again by Lasone Garland Bryant and assistant director Sheila M. Benson Gaddy for a great, great interview. Wow, wow, wow. That interview is from 2018, and that interview we heard director, yeah, Lasone Garland Bryant, who recently passed away. We also heard from um, her sister, Lillian Garland, who in addition to recently losing her sister, she also recently lost her mother. Our condolences and love go out to both of them. Uh, Gone, but never, never forgotten. This weekend's Interfaith Holiday Justice and Peace Circle at Freedom Square event includes remembering those who we have lost. And in a moment, I'll talk with H. Bosch Jr. about what's going to take place. But first, let's hear from Annika Vanderveen from SNUG, one of the co-sponsors of the event. SNUG, the anti-violence program, is partnering with the Sanctuary on this Saturday's Holiday Interfaith Justice and Peace Circle at Freedom Square. SNUG in Troy is located just down the street from the Sanctuary, and I'm joined now by their social worker, Annika Vanderveen. Welcome. Thank you. How did you come to SNUG? And I'd love to know a little bit about your background in social work. Yeah. um, So I grew up not too far from Troy. I grew up in Clifton Park, which is about 15 minutes away. I went to grad school in Philadelphia, um, where there was there's like some significant uh, gun violence that was occurring there. And it was affecting a lot of the clients that I was working with at the time, I was working with families kind of in the community. So I, I ended up doing work in gun violence in Philadelphia. And then when I moved back to the area, I kind of sought out a local gun violence agency. And what attracted you to SNUG? And in that, could you also wrap up, what is SNUG's mission? So SNUG stands for should never use guns. And really, their mission is to mediate conflict in the community by really targeting interventions with people who are most the highest risk for shooting someone or being shot. So they both work with people who uh, may be perpetrating gun violence, people who may be affected by, by gun violence, because one of the things that we know is that if someone you know has been shot or if you yourself have been shot, you're more likely to engage in violence. As part of what SNUG does, is there ever policy involved about gun use on a governmental level? Yeah, so uh, the program is funded by the Division for Criminal Justice Services in New York State. Um, So we receive 
most of our funding is through state funding. And I know because of that, there's been some work in terms of like increasing like the state budget to allow for these services. So it was Joyce Henderson, who's a part of the Troy Central Little League, who originally proposed for this event coming up on Saturday that anti-gun violence be a large proponent of it. What does SNUG see in the North Central community? Yeah, we know that gun violence has affected a lot of the families in this area specifically. And we know that the holidays are a really hard time for a lot of folks who have lost loved ones. I know that we like see kind of a disproportionate amount of gun violence in Troy and specifically in North Central Troy, uh, which is why uh, this is the area that we're located in, is that why this is the area that we're really like focusing on building relationship with the communities in. What do you see or what does SNUG see as the factors that lead to gun violence beyond, you said, if there's use, if gun violence has been a part of their life, they've been affected by it, they might be more u- likely to use guns. What are other factors that may lead to higher uses of gun violence in a community? So we do know that that is like one of the biggest factors is if you know somebody who has been shot or killed. Um, I think other things that like can impact it are things like what opportunities are there for youth in the community, like the climate of the local community is like at the current time. I think if they like have friends who are maybe caught up kind of with guns that it's like easier to fall into. So with SNUG, outreach workers interrupt potentially violent situations. What does that mean? And how, Mm -hmm. what are some, what are some methods? Yeah. So, I mean, our outreach workers are really great. I think what they really focus on is working with like the highest risk participants and like kind of developing these relationships so that they know when conflicts are brewing. And so when they have an inkling of a conflict that is brewing, they're able to step in, they're able to hopefully like diffuse the situation and work towards a mediation. Uh, That's a lot of like where the work is, is trying to get both parties to the table to kind of talk about a different type of resolution that doesn't necessarily involve guns. And social work is also a really important part of this. How do you, how does your work factor into this? So we offer counseling and case management services, both to folks at risk of um, shooting someone or people who have lost loved ones or uh, been injured themselves. So we provide both counseling services and then also case management services, uh, which can really help kind of stabilize the environment um, by making sure that people have like their necessary resources, helping people file for victims' compensation, uh, that type of thing. And you mentioned that the holidays are a very difficult uh, time of year for people who have been affected by gun violence. And you're a part of our holiday interfaith justice and peace circle at Freedom Square on Saturday. What is the activity that you're bringing that addresses this holiday time for for families affected by gun violence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we are going to be there. We're going to have some public information in case people are interested in any services that SUNC provides. And then we will also um, 
have a card making station. And so people can have the opportunity to make cards for folks who have lost uh, loved ones to gun violence. And then our organization will distribute it to families that we know might be uh, having a hard time this season. So somebody who may not know, personally know somebody affected by gun violence can still participate in this activity because you have the people, you will be doing the distribution and it's more just community support for these families. Is that right? Exactly. Great. And what else would you like to see in this year ahead? I personally live in this neighborhood and the year started with a fatal shooting of a young, of a teenager. What is the hope for next year? And what are ways that the community can come together to hopefully create a safer year for everybody next year? Yeah, I mean, I think our hope always is right that there is less gun violence and less deaths in this upcoming year than there has been in this previous year. I think we really pride ourselves on trying to like engage the community in this issue because we it's not something that we can do alone. And so I think we're always looking for volunteers. We do a community event once a month, and so that looks uh, different for each month, but we'll like partner with different organizations to make sure that we're out in the community. And so having volunteers at some of those events is always helpful. What's the next community event that you'll be participating in? Um, so we actually have a our holiday party, which will take place at the YWCA on December 19th from 6 to 9 p.m. Thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited to have you a part of this Saturday event and more in the future, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I think just an awareness that this is a hard season for a lot of folks. So just a reminder to treat people kindly this holiday season. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Anna uh, Vanderveen from Snug. And uh, she will definitely be here for this weekend's uh, event. And we appreciate everything you're doing out there in the community. Continue to let your light shine. Yes, Annika Vanderveen will be writing cards, as she mentioned there, to uh, families who have been affected by gun violence. And as we close out the show, I wanted to turn the mic to H. Bosch Jr. because even though I have a history with the sanctuary, the, um, the interfaith holiday justice and peace circle did not the the event did not exist when I was an intern, and I know this guy here has been a longtime attender, and you've been the MC in the history. So I'd love to start by, what is your first memory of these events? Uh wow! First of all, thank you, um, Cena, for giving me the opportunity to uh, share these experiences, wonderful experiences. Uh, with the sanctuary as well as the community. Um, my first experience was, uh, I think it was the 2017 um, Christmas or holiday special, which we had inside in... Interfaith. Um, interfaith, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interfaith. And um, all the groups we had that showed up, we had groups that came as far as Kingston, Newburgh. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, some wonderful groups and some wonderful talent some that have gone on to higher heights in the recording business, and just the interaction, um, looking out there in the uh, vestibule and uh, seeing the place packed, food, 
toys. We were taking free photos. It was such From a Brandon fam- Keneally. Yeah, yep, Brandon Keneally. It was such a family-oriented uh, evening, and it just brought um, everybody closer. And the uh, sanctuary was kind of like the uh, glue that mm. brought all of that together. And we got a chance to really highlight and give um, acknowledgement to all of our volunteers who worked tirelessly downstairs at the time, the interns, the students, who never got the shine or the credit. And that day we got a chance to uh, praise and acknowledge everybody. And I made sure if I didn't acknowledge them, they were in a photo. So that's one of my fondest memories, Mm -hmm. along with many, many more uh, festivals and events that I had the opportunity to emcee. So you said 2017. Is that when you started working with Hudson Mohawk Magazine? I guess so. Wow. Coincided. I've I've been around a minute. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, that's when I started. And um, as I like to say, um, I am so thankful. Uh, I was thankful then and even more thankful to uh, Steve. Um, I like to call him Steve makes it all happen. Pierce <laughs> and Branda for giving me this uh, opportunity of a lifetime to bring awareness and exposure and uh, to be part of this family. It's been so, so great. And when people reminisce about these events, they often talk about the pictures and the crafts indoors, but the outdoor freedom square candle lighting aspect of it, giving out thoughts of justice and peace have always been a part of this event, as far as I understand. What did that do for the event for you? And why was that an important aspect to it? Um, uh, again, community and to be a part of something special and to uh, look at where we started out at and where we were and where we want to go. And it was a great, great opportunity to see so many people again, I keep going back to this, that have gone on to higher heights. Like um, my first engineer was a nine-year-old, oh my God. Trayvon? Trayvon, yes. Nine years old, he's gone on now to start one of the... a little older now. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit older, yeah. He's gone on to start uh, a great uh, lawn care service. Mm-hmm. But at nine years old, he was my first engineer. I mean, I had more kid engineers than uh, a daycare center. <laughs> but that right there represents our spirit. Because um, when I used to look at Trayvon and I said... He could be so many other places that are a lot worse. Instead, he's at the sanctuary. Mm. And um, the word sanctuary, you know, it was his safe space. And he got a chance to um, be part of a system that really was able to mold, shape, and uh, give him role models that uh, helped him uh, be the person who he is now and continuing to help him. So that right there is a blessing. I mean, this place... um, if you come here and don't get empowered, motivated, educated, you're in the wrong spot. It's your own fault. <laughs> so the pandemic definitely changed yeah, things. That little thing called the, the indoor pandemic, right? party uh, isn't taking place this year. But since last year, we gathered around Freedom Square, around Evergreen Tree, from Brandon Steve's property, lit some candles, and this year. We have arts and crafts, we have food, we have cookies, we have warm drinks, we have card writing to people 
families affected by gun violence and um, and another a political group. And then we also have pine cone covering with peanut butter and bird seed for people to take home. So we're trying to bring back in those interactive aspects. And we also have H. Bosch Jr. photographing. <laughs> so you're a radio yeah. host and a photographer? Yeah, I wear, um, uh, how do they say, uh, a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in addition to doing what I do on the radio, um, I'm also working very hard to uh, establish my own media company called Remo Media. And that's uh, bringing awareness and exposure to all the things that I do. And photography comes right under that umbrella. And um, today uh, or Saturday, I'm going to be out in the crowd and uh, doing my thing with the camera. Yes. Mm, I'm really excited because we've mm. talked about photography for a bit and it'll be really great to see you in action. And yeah. just to bring everybody together, I do want to give a shout out to some of the people who have been formative Please in this do. concept. Please do. Uncle Mac. Yes, Uncle Mac. Joyce Henderson. Jerry Ford. Joy Deacon Jerry Ford yeah. and family. Yeah, uh, of course, Brandon Steve. Yep. Brandon Steve, uh, Kevin Pryor. Uh, yes. Yeah, there's uh, so many people. So many people. Um, and different bands that we had play. Uh, but not uh, this year. Yeah, <laughs> not, right. not to give false hopes. <laughs> right. Doc Horton and the J Street Band. Uh, there's been so many groups that have blessed our stage. Yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. so I do hope that listeners will come join us and celebrate and reflect on all of the things that were really great this year and, and on the people we've lost. And that event is Saturday, December 10th from 3.30 to 5 o'clock. 3.30 to 4.30 are the events and crafts in the last hour of the day. And then as after the sun sets, we hand out candles, we light them. Oh, and I forgot to say, we also have some bikes for raffle from Troy Bike Rescue. Yes, yes. So indeed. if you're looking bikes. for a bike, we have two actual ones there and a gift card. And so it'll be really fun. And um, if I don't know you already, come say hi. Yeah, yeah. That's what I want to say real quick. Uh, everyone who shows up, do not leave without meeting this remarkable person. And this one Sina. here too. Um, she has been the life's blood of the sanctuary. You held it down when uh, things were really dark, and I'm I'm so grateful for that. I appreciate Thank you. you. And Alexis Goldsmith. Yes, she, uh, Alexis paved it Goldsmith. Yes. yes. How can I forget that? I'm sorry, <laughs> Lexis. We love so you. So many. Oh, right. we can't even mention everybody. Yep, yep. Charge my head, <laughs> not my heart, if I forget you. But Alexis, yes. we love you. Yes. Well, we have run out of time, but H. Bosch Jr., it's been wonderful. And the both of us, we are looking forward to Saturday and meeting everybody. And one quick thing, uh, gone but not forgotten, the incomparable Megan Marone. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. We will definitely be honoring Megan um, on Saturday and forever. She yes. was incredible. She, I cut my teeth with her. My very first interview yeah. was with Megan Marone. And just quickly, contributors to today's episode, Mark Dunley, Willie Terry, um, H. Bosch Jr. It's been incredible. This is a team effort. And I'm Cena. And I'm H. Bosch Jr. And thank you for tuning in. Doom, doom, doom. doom.